My Car Guru, episode 219. Well, hello, folks. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru. Thank you for tuning in to this limited edition. It's limited because I'm only going to do it once. Uh, I just did something that really hurt my feelings. Um, Why did I do it? Because I had to. I just paid $7,000 over window sticker for a replacement vehicle for my uh, parts department. Yes, my Ford Transit van, it's a, you know, they make those in a low roof, a mid roof, and a high roof. Well, we get the mid roof, and roof, roof, whatever, and uh, it just does a perfect job for us. You know, the Transit is the number one selling cargo van in the country, and it used to be because they were relatively inexpensive. They're not anymore. And they're in very short supply, just like everything else is. But I had to have a new parts van, and uh, I wanted about the same thing. And I told my sales manager, who also happens to be my son-in-law, I said, find me a van. He said, Lenny, um, there aren't any vans available. We don't have any. I said, find me one somewhere, and I'll buy it. I'll pay retail for it or more. He said, oh. Okay, so he found one up in Ohio, uh, just south, uh, let's see, south of Cleveland somewhere, Minerva, Ohio, I think is what it's called. And uh, the Ford dealer up there had one, and so we bought it. We paid, you know, he wanted seven grand over. He paid 5000 over just to get it and sold a bunch of, he bought a bunch at once and sold it to some big company, and he had one left, and it's all-wheel drive, and it's the, the mid roof, like I wanted, and it has the, you know, the correct length and everything. But they just make a beautiful rolling billboard, you know, for your business. I'll either wrap it or just put the Gateway logos on it, and then, you know, we'll be able to take care of all of our wholesale parts uh, clients, which we have a bunch. We have folks over in North Carolina and up in Virginia, and I guess that's why we put so many miles on this van is because we deliver so many parts to our wholesale customers. A wholesale customer is somebody who turns around and. Uh, retails that part to, you know, either an insurance company at a body shop or to you. You know, if you're having your car repaired at an independent shop somewhere, then and you insisted on genuine Ford parts, then we would deliver those parts to your independent shop. So, but that's okay. That's I mean, so you got somebody's got to pay retail, and some of us even pay way more than retail when we have to, just like I did. So. I am not too ashamed of myself. I'm, uh, I'd much rather have ordered it from the factory, and then I could have gotten it for probably, I don't know, 10% less, maybe more than that. Yeah, probably 15% less. So, But I'm, I can live with it because I've got to have it, and I'll write it off on this year's taxes. So that's good. You know, if you happen to have a business and you want a major tax deduction, you can use a, a specific... Uh, code of the IRS depreciation code, and uh, you can buy a vehicle and depreciate it all on this year's taxes rather than having to spread it out over five years. So that's a pretty good deal. I mean, you won't get tax deductions in subsequent years. So, you know, a lot of businesses do that. They'll buy certain types of vehicles and equipment. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of alignment equipment. I bought a new lift and a new laser measuring system, and uh, it's uh, It was very expensive, and I'll be able to write all of that off in one year. 
if I so choose. But I really needed this fan. So aren't you glad that I haven't? I solved that problem. I am. Yeah, I guess sometimes you get a little buyer's remorse. I don't think I will in this case. I did on my new mattress, though. I bought a new mattress. My wife and I broke down after seven years of uh, sleeping on this one mattress. Both of our backs were hurting. So we said, well, if it's both of us, it must be the mattress because we do sleep together. Oops, was I supposed to say that? Well, I did. Um, yeah, we uh, decided to go up to our favorite furniture store, which I won't name, and bought a mattress. Well, I forgot to take into account a particular habit that I have, which I'm 6'3", and there's something about when I go to sleep, I have to go to sleep on my stomach with my feet hanging over the edge of the bed. I know it sounds weird, but I need it to be smooth. I don't need it to have a, a, uh, a ridge around the edge of the mattress. And a lot of mattresses are made that way. I didn't think about that. You know, the firmness and all that, everybody has their own feelings about memory foam and how firm they want their mattress to be. I just want a medium, and I don't want a, um, what do they call it, a piping or whatever around the edge of the mattress because it bugs me. It's uncomfortable. So they have a policy that if you sleep on that mattress for 60 days and don't like it, then you can exchange it. So I called them. I said, um, you know, about this mattress, I'm sorry. I don't like it. They said, well, you got to sleep on it for 60 days, and then you can return it and, and uh, we'll exchange it. I said, really? Why do I have to wait 60 days? Well, because that's the policy. So sometimes the policy gets in the way of good sleep, and I guess I'm just going to have to endure it. I'll have to figure, maybe I, maybe I just sleep on my back. I can't go to sleep that way, though. That's just one of my oddities. We all have them, though, so I'm not too ashamed of that. But, you know, businesses should find ways to accommodate good customers. I have bought, I have purchased thousands of dollars of furniture from this place over the years, and you would think that they would cut me a little slack maybe 30 days early. So I'm going to ask again. We're going to go up and try out different mattresses. You know, it's just like what I always say on this radio show is, uh, you should really try stuff out before you buy it, especially if it's really expensive. Um, there's some things we can't try out. Uh, thank goodness you can try out a mattress. You can't try out a car and buy it and say, hey, I don't like it, and take it back. Now, there's a lot of dealers who say we have a an exchange privilege or a, what do they call it, a satisfaction guarantee. So if you're not satisfied and you can take some type of action. It would be great if you could just say, man, I don't like it, and pull it in and drop, hand them the keys. But unfortunately, too many people finance cars. And if you finance it, the bank is not going to forgive your note. You borrowed money from them, not from the dealer. You can take the vehicle back to the dealer, but you still owe for the car. That's just the way it works. So how do they do it if you finance a car? Well, they have to accommodate you for that somehow. That's on the dealership. It's probably in the fine print. If you don't like the car, and let's say that you take it in and you want to exchange it for something else, and you pick out a, a different vehicle, and then they say, okay, that's great. This is the one. You can exchange it for this. And then they do the paperwork, but they call it into the bank, and, and the bank says, nah, we're going to need an, an additional $1,500 down. Or we're going to, uh, nah, we don't want to finance these people after all. So what is the dealer's ob obligation then? Nothing. 
It's not because you didn't read the fine print to their offer. Always read the fine print. If somebody's making some really cool offer, you better find out what the stipulations are. Even lifetime warranties. We have a lifetime powertrain warranty at Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan. And if I was buying a car here, I would say, okay, can I read the uh, particulars on that lifetime warranty? Now, you know, I did my research and so forth, and I know our product is an in back, backed by insurance, and, and if something happens to Lenny Lawson or Gateway Ford, the customer is still covered. But is that the case at ABC Motors, you know, one of our competitors? I don't know. You don't know either. If you bought from them, you better, you know, if you're counting on that uh, lifetime powertrain warranty, to protect you, you better understand what it covers. Um, what if it's a prior defect in, in the, the vehicle? What if it, you, you know, failed to put oil in it? Of course, no warranty is going to cover for that. You'll probably have to maintain your vehicle, and, and you'll have to keep very detailed records of what you did. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of folks don't do is keep records. Uh, they ignore their responsibility that, um, you know, if I'm going to sell this vehicle later on, I should probably keep some kind of a record of what I did to it. So one of the advantages of having your vehicle serviced at a new car dealership because they keep, they're required for seven years to keep all of your records, your repair orders. And every, every time that you came into the store, they made an entry into their computer system. Plus it goes on, on the, uh, well, in our case, on the Ford or Nissan uh, system, especially if it, while it was under warranty. But if you don't maintain records, then you don't have a leg to stand on if you have an engine with 250,000 miles on it and something goes bad, and then you take it in for your lifetime powertrain warranty that you felt all warm and fuzzy about, and then you're not covered. And so what do you do? What Do you, do you sue somebody, uh, or do you just end up paying for it out of your pocket? Uh, it's something you should definitely look into. Just another thing that you'll get from me and from listening to this radio show. Okay, I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. You know, I love history. I, I guess I've made that pretty clear on this radio show. I'm reading an interesting book. It's a series of books that were written by Winston Churchill after World War II. I think he started it in 1947. The first in the series of books is called Gathering Storm, and it talks about how they messed up, how they let Germany rebuild after World War I, and they made so many mistakes and saw so many things going on, and they didn't crack down on it, and they could have. It wasn't just the British, though. It was the French as well. So I can't get enough of that kind of history. Also, the car business history. I, my wife says, aren't you tired of reading books about cars? And I say, are you tired of reading books about quilting? No. Okay, then. We're even. Uh, one of the cars that's been fascinating to me throughout my career in a car business has been the Shelby, the Shelby name. You know, Carroll Shelby, I guess he got known by a lot of people with that movie, Ford versus Ferrari. A lot of people never heard of Carroll, Carroll Shelby before that, but I've been a fan of his for a long time. You know, Carroll was a, a very dynamic, powerful individual. Once he once his career was ended because of a heart condition, uh, he didn't quit. He wanted to drive more than anybody in the world, or as much as anybody in the world. Actually won Le Mans one time with his team, but he decided that uh, he couldn't do it anymore because he would have, I mean, he'd be driving around the track, folks, 
taking nitroglycerin pills because he had so much chest pain going on. Um, so ended up having a heart transplant and lived many years after that. Ended up ha- also having a liver transplant. The man had health issues, but he kept fighting. That's one of the things I admire so much about him. But he developed that relationship with Ford that you saw in the movie if you saw that, that particular film. And it continued uh, when, they, when Ford came out with the Mustang because Lee Iacocca, yeah, it's the same guy that, that saved the Chrysler Corporation before they went bankrupt. And, uh, you know, Lee Iacocca is another one of the icons, one of my heroes. Uh, I love reading books that he wrote as well. But anyway, um, he, he hooked up with Carol, and Carol uh, was able to take the Mustang to a much higher level and created the Shelby Mustang. Now, the first Shelby Mustang was called the GT350. And I was just watching an auction today on Bring a Trailer, and they were selling a 1966 Shelby GT350. Now, the difference between this and a regular GT350 was the fact that this one had an H after the 350. All of these GT350 Hs were finished in black. They had gold stripes over black upholstery, and they were powered by a 289 V8. Now, what was different about these cars is they all had uh, three-speed automatic transmissions. Why do you think it had an H after the 350? I'll pass that on to you here in just a second. They were all automatics. So why would somebody want a sports car if it was an automatic? It's because they were ordered by the Hertz Corporation. Now, Ford Motor Company used to own the Hertz Corporation, and uh, they had a a long-term relationship. And I guess in order to spice things up at the rental counter, uh, Hertz ordered 1,000 of these Shelby Mustangs with automatic transmissions. And they rented them and uh, did fair with them. I mean, it wasn't like a big money maker. It was just something they could put in their advertising. Now, the original price of this car was $3,820. Not much. Considering that one just sold on Bring a Trailer for $202,000. Now, if it had not been a GT350H and just had been one of the original uh, Shelby GT350s, it would have been white instead of black. It would have blue stripes instead of gold stripes. And it would have brought approximately seventy-five to hundred thousand dollars more. So the '66 Shelby Mustang, uh, if it's in decent condition, even unrestored condition, they'll bring in the in the mid to high one hundred range. But a restored example back to its original condition will bring over three hundred thousand dollars. Is that not amazing? And now the interesting thing is, I have a '66 Mustang out on my showroom floor right now. And it is the same exact vehicle that Ford built for Shelby and then would send to uh, his, I guess, his hangar, which he was still located just off in a hangar just right beside the Los Angeles International Airport. But he would order Wimbledon white Mustangs with the K-Code engine. So that means that it had a a 289 high-performance engine. So this car on my showroom floor is exactly what Shelby would have ordered, except mine is signal flare red. And so what's it worth uh, compared to a Shelby? Well, it's still worth a lot. Probably $80,000 to $90,000, 
maybe, if I found the right buyer, if I put it back on Bring a Trailer. Now, these things have been going up like crazy. I mean, I paid, let's see, $60,000, $65,000 for it. And um, I had to do a few things to it. It just it had to be sorted out just a little. I had to put some tires on it that were drivable. You know, it had 14-inch wheels and real skinny. I mean, I think the wheels were four and a half inches wide and just little bias ply tires, and, and it did not drive good at all. So I just said, let's make it at least drive decent. So I put modern radial tires and some aluminum wheels that kind of have a retro look. you got to keep it retro. You know, if you go too crazy changing things, you can really hurt the value. But my, my goal is to keep this car. I didn't buy it to uh, resale. looks good in my showroom. Customers really love it when they come in and they see some of my old stuff in the showroom, like my my very tall, visible gas pumps. had a big conversation with a lady the other, the other day, and she just couldn't. She'd never seen them before. You know what I'm talking about, the really tall ones that have glass on the top and has a little globe on the top of that. I have a Texaco, well, two Texaco pumps. They may not have originally been Texaco pumps, but they were actually trade-ins on a car one time, and, and I was able to get a hold of those and put them in, in my showroom. So I, I like to keep old stuff in there so folks can look at it. I've got on the Nissan side, I've got my 78 uh, Nissan, well, I was called a Datsun back then, 280Z that was sold to me by a wonderful couple in Kingsport. If you're listening right now, I still love you for selling me that 280Z, and it's not going anywhere. It's another one of those ones that are not for sale. You know, if you have an old car and you plan on keeping it, and you want to interact with other people who have the same passion you do for that old car, there's probably a club or a forum that you can join. Okay, so I'll give you an example. I was looking for a, a Chevrolet emblem for the tailgate on my 1962 Corvair ramp side truck. And it says Chevrolet on it. It's a real interesting script. Well, mine is missing. And we just repainted the tailgate. It had some rust on it. We did some other things. I changed out the mirrors. It had these big old funky mirrors on there like you'd see on an F-250. Somebody bought them at Advance Auto Parts and drilled holes all over the door, and it just looked awful. So I fixed all, or I had it all fixed by Mickey, my buddy. And uh, we, we, um, he fixed my tailgate, and we needed that emblem. So I looked on, went up to my source, which is Clark's Corvair up in New Hampshire, and I talked to the lady, and I said, I need this emblem. She said, you and everybody else. I said, well, that doesn't sound good. And she said, Lenny, we can't get these. The manufacturer, the, uh, the remanufacturer, the people who make a copy of it, don't make them anymore. And your best uh, chance of finding this would be to join one of the Corvette forums. I said, oh, okay. Well, I do that. So she told me the one to join. I joined it today. And I put the message up there that I needed the Chevrolet emblem. First response I got was, these are as scarce as lips on a chicken. And I'm, I didn't know, well, I guess chicken don't, chickens don't have lips. So I'm going to have a hard time finding the uh, Chevrolet emblem. I got some other input, though. I found several people that have them, and they want anywhere from uh, $150 to $250 just for that little emblem. Now, is it worth that to me? Hmm. Probably. You know, if I could check out the condition and 
you know, know that I'm going to get it. I'd rather probably buy it through eBay or something like that. But, you know, if you can find the right individual, if as long as they're legit, and you can check folks out, you know, through the forum and ask people, is this person legit? And, and you know, wouldn't waste $150. So uh, I may end up doing that. I don't know. But it, what's cool is, though, is to have these this resource, you know, which everybody needs a resource. I'm your resource. Hopefully, if you have a question about cars or issues or what to pay for something or, you know, how to fix something. I was driving my daughter's expedition the other day and just going down the road, I turned the radio off. Sometimes I'll do that. And I just noticed whenever I was giving it gas, it was totally quiet. When I let off the gas, I'd hear a whining noise. Well, I haven't heard that since like the 80s. I knew what it was. It's a rear-end differential whine. It's the gears. There's a problem. But I own a car dealership. That's handy. That helps. I pull it into the service drive, and I say, um, yeah, this, this thing's got a rear-end whine. And they said, oh, really? Okay, so they took it on a test drive. I said, yep, sure does. I said, is there any type of bulletin or anything on that? Nope, haven't seen anything on that, but we'll check into it. So it really does help to have the source where you can go to. You know, I don't know everything about every car that's made. I, you know, my Hyundai knowledge is probably a little lacking, but I know a Hyundai dealer, and I have sources for just about any question that you may have. So feel free to send me a message, 423-552-2020. That's my cell phone number and my hotline, and I'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, I've had some uh, good inquiries lately about questions that folks have about uh, what to do in the wintertime for their car. I'll talk about that on the next episode. Uh, also, uh, what their vehicles are worth. I've bought a couple vehicles through the radio show. You know, somebody says, well, what's my car worth? And I tell them, and they say, well, you give that for it? And I said, yeah. I mean, if it looks good, you know, if it fits your description, then I'll pay you every dime. And that happened on two occasions. One occasion I had to, to ding them a little bit because the tires were worn out. They didn't bother to tell me that. I need a full description. So if you have something you want to know what it's worth, send me the specs on it. I need the VIN number. I need the miles. I need to know if it has a particular trim package, like if it's a LS model or a, um, you know, a CL model or who knows, you know, whatever the, the particular make calls it. Uh, maybe a Hyundai Galant ES. I need to know what that, that if it's an ES or a GL or something like that. And then uh, just the overall condition, condition of the tires and the paint. Has it ever been wrecked? Of course, I'll, I'll find that on the Carfax or AutoCheck. But I can give you a number, and if that number is, if you can't match that or you're going shopping and you just, nobody gets anywhere close to that, then I'll write you a check for it. I got to back up. I got to put my money where my mouth is, and that's what I do. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I'll catch you next time.